Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to All the Sharks No Bite, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. We took last week off, and that's because the Sharks decided to play some absolutely chaotic games and technically got out of last place in the league. And when that happened, I felt like I lost track of myself, kind of lost track of who I am as a person, Uh, didn't really know what was real and what wasn't anymore. And I feel like the Sharks have kind of been the definition of the Drake meme from the Laugh Now, Cry Later music video where he's wiping away tears and he says, it's been a long fight and I just have to have a warrior spirit. And that's kind of how I feel right now after the last handful of Sharks games. The Sharks were historically awful to start the year, as we all know, going, I think it was 0-10-1, getting blown out 10-1 and 10-2 in back-to-back games, hitting rock bottom and then hitting rock bottom-er one game later. And now here they are. They've actually come back against Vegas on... Sunday night to tie it 4-4, and they took that game to overtime and then the shootout. They won an overtime thriller against Detroit, which probably should not have been so close and so thrilling because the Sharks played really, really well throughout that game. And they had a big win against the Islanders 5-4 and the Devils 6-3, and they nearly came back from a multi-goal deficit against the Rangers, ultimately losing that one 6-5. I'm not sure what the high eventometer says, but it feels like they're playing high event hockey right now, and I love that. And I do want to address one thing that I've seen people starting to say online is that the Sharks can't even tank right. They're getting too good. What are they doing? Classic Sharks. They don't even know how to lose. And I'm rooting for the Sharks to get the best pick possible like the rest of us, but I still want the team to be competitive, you know? I want to remind everyone that the Sharks don't have to be historically awful to get the first overall pick. They don't have to get blown out every single game. They just have to have the fewest points in the league. So if they finish with 45 points and the Blackhawks finish with 46, the Sharks still have the best chance at the first pick. They don't have to finish 20 points behind the second worst team. And as much as the Sharks have improved, and they have improved dramatically, I don't think they're at risk of being too good to properly tank. One of my close buddies is a huge Coyotes fan, and so I watched a lot of Yotes games over the last couple of years. And I can tell you that they were fun to watch over the past few seasons because they were bad and in the conversation for the first overall pick, which is what they wanted, but they still lost close and exciting games. They weren't getting blown out. They weren't absolutely irrelevant by the end of the first period. They were actually competitive. And that's really the same thing that I want from the Sharks. That's really all that I'm looking for. Be competitive. Don't be embarrassing. Give us some thrills every night and save the wins only for special occasions. And the good news is they've been doing that. And with this big turnaround, I have to give David Quinn and Mike Greer a ton of credit. Whatever Mike Greer said when he yelled at the team after the Vancouver and Pittsburgh blowouts, he deserves a ton of credit, and he also deserves a stick tap for bringing in Kalen Addison to quarterback the power play. 
and bringing up Josh Bailey, who's been a revelation for the team. And David Quinn has done a really good job, too, of making adjustments. He found line combos at work, especially with Granlin, Duclair, and Zetterland. Hurdle and Eklund have looked really great together. I think the penalty kill structure has been a lot better, too, than it was earlier in the season. And I know some people are probably rolling their eyes and saying, oh, putting the best players on the same line together and playing them top six minutes, what a genius move, right? But I think Quinn still deserves credit. He found the right combos and deployed them appropriately. And funny enough, not every coach does that. And so even though it sounds obvious, I think he still deserves to get a pat on the back for that. And impressively, he's got this team getting more high-quality chances. They're getting more shots on goal, uh, more dangerous shots, and more dangerous looks at the net. And they're just flat-out more competitive in every game. They're in every game now. They're putting some wins together. This team is showing that they can come back even when they're down by two or three goals. And the October Sharks would never do anything like that. But the November and December Sharks look like they're built a little bit different. So I'm confident that this will not be the worst team we've ever seen in NHL history. This won't be the 92 Sharks that I believe only won 11 games. This won't be the 2017 Colorado Avalanche. Which, it's funny, I can't believe that it was only in 2017 that the Avs were, like, historically awful, and now they're a juggernaut. So, something to aspire to for San Jose. Obviously, this isn't a great team yet, and it's going to be a few years before they are, but I bet they won't be the worst. I think they're past that point, thankfully, and I think the worst is probably behind them. And speaking of betting, you can bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. You just heard me talk about it. The Sharks are getting a little bit better. They're more competitive. And tonight they've got the Winnipeg Jets coming up. The Sharks are at home sitting at plus 195. So maybe get in on that action. How about that? Go ahead and download the app now and use code THPN. New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after assurance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus H varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after assurance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. As the Sharks have started to play better lately, a lot of guys have raised their stock personally, and it'll be interesting to see who the Sharks see as players who fit their rebuild timeline and can be part of the future and part of the solution moving forward versus guys that they see as expendable and who can bring assets back to help further the rebuild. Mikhail Granlund, Anthony Duclair, Mackenzie Blackwood, Capo Kakinen, Mike Hoffman, Mario Ferraro, these are all guys who have either raised their stock or guys that we've heard rumors about um, there being interest around the league. 
And some of these guys make sense for the Sharks rebuild timeline and others maybe not so much. Mike Hoffman is putting pucks in the net. He's also a guy on the other side of 30, a veteran guy who could help a playoff team looking for depth scoring. I think he's gone by the deadline. Mikhail Granlund is also on the wrong side of 30. Anthony Duclair will be on the wrong side of 30 when the Sharks are good again. And as much as I love those two, they've been really, really awesome. I think they would certainly bring the most return right now. And they just don't make a ton of sense for the Sharks timeline. And perhaps more importantly, the Sharks don't really fit those guys' personal timelines if they're both looking to make a run at the Stanley Cup. I think they could both go somewhere else and make more meaningful contributions and earn bigger contracts over the next couple of years. Anthony Duclair is on an expiring contract. Granlund is on year three of a four-year deal. And then in terms of the goaltending in San Jose, Mackenzie Blackwood and Kapo Kakinen have both played really great. I think they've been outstanding this season. And I know this has been batted around a little bit, but if I'm the Oilers or the Hurricanes or the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm for sure texting Mike Greer. Obviously, things have stabilized for the Oilers. They're back on track, but I think you can never have enough goaltending if you're Ken Holland, right? And for Toronto, they have Samsonov and Martin Jones. And so if Joseph Wool misses significant time, I'm not really sure those are the two guys I'd be most comfortable with in the playoffs. Obviously, Martin Jones has had some very good playoff runs for San Jose in the past. And Ilya Samsonov was a revelation last season. But I just don't know how good I would feel if I'm going into the playoffs with those two guys. So I would at least inquire about Mackenzie Blackwood. And I would absolutely love for Blackwood to be part of the future of the Sharks. I love his style. I love the way he plays. I think this is the real Mackenzie Blackwood. And whatever was going on there in New Jersey the last couple of years, I, I think that's gone. And I think he could fit the Sharks timeline. But with the way that he's played, he could potentially bring a nice haul in return for San Jose who would still very much benefit from young prospects and draft picks at this point in their rebuild. Another name that's been out there is Mario Ferraro. Uh, we've heard his name a little bit. He's a guy who's right in his proverbial prime, so you have to think that he'll want to take advantage of that. He's, it sounds like, very well regarded around the league. Obviously, Sharks fans love him. And Elliot Friedman says that he would be an expensive get. He's on year two of a four-year, $13 million deal. The Sharks would probably have to retain some money, I would imagine. Um, I'll be honest, I think Ferraro is a little overvalued. I don't think he's as good defensively as people think. And he doesn't really make up for that offensively either. He's certainly a capable player, but he's typically been a guy who plays high-taxing defensive minutes against tough competition. And I think he could provide more value if he didn't have to do that and if he could play maybe second pairing minutes, not against the top line for the other team. So if he's going to be as expensive as Friedman says he is, I say trade him into the sun and get whatever you can for him. There have also been articles recently about Mark Edward Vlasic and his name appearing in trade rumors. And there have been people saying that he's checked out and that the spark or the chip on his shoulder that he used to have are gone. And maybe that's true. Maybe not. It's hard to know because none of us know Mark Edward Vlasic or have spoken with him. And I think it's 
probably more likely that he's just a 36-year-old stay-at-home defenseman who has played a ton of hockey and a lot of taxing minutes, and that wear and tear is just finally showing as it tends to do with guys who are over 36. But if that spark is gone and he is checked out and he's phoning it in, I say good. I probably would too if I gave 15 excellent years to a company and then got paid basically the equivalent of a Lifetime Achievement Award. I would for sure be coasting into the sunset to collect my paycheck and kind of take a knee on my career and run out the clock so that I can still have a good quality of life and have the mental capacity to count my fat stacks of money. I think we really need to start thinking of these athletes as normal corporate citizens like the rest of us. If I got paid that much and accomplished everything that Vlasic has accomplished, I would quiet quit too. And I would never feel bad about it, ever. So I really think that we should consider that perspective more when players sign with new teams in free agency or when they're in Vlasic's position and they're supposedly checked out after signing their their big life-changing paycheck. So if it's true that he's taken his foot off the gas, I, I honestly don't blame him for it. I would probably do the same thing. But anyway, shifting gears a little bit, I do want to talk about one play the other night against Vegas to wrap this one up. It was the first goal scored by Jonathan Marchessault on the two-on-one where Henry Thrun took away the pass and let Capo Kakinen handle Marchessault, the shooter. And that's what you're taught to do as a young defenseman, right? Or at least that's how I was taught, where it's two-on-one, you take away the pass and let the goalie worry about the shooter. And that's part of why defensemen started laying down on two-on-ones, even though I hate that because once you commit, you can't recover. And so it's totally predictable, right? Puck carriers will just hold the puck and drag it. And they know that if they're patient enough that they just have to wait you out until you're out of position. And then it's a clear shot or really honestly could also be a clear pass for them. But getting back to Henry Thrun, the conventional wisdom makes sense. Take away the pass, let the goalie only worry about one threat instead of two threats. But Brett Hedekin made a really interesting point during the intermission. And I'm not like the biggest Brett Hedekin supporter. I'm more of a Drew Remenda guy myself. But every now and then, Brett said something really insightful. And this was one of those moments. And what's interesting is that Brett and Drew had two different takes on the right way to play this during the broadcast. Brett Hedekin pointed out that Jonathan Marcheseau was a righty on the left side, so a right-handed shooter coming down the left wing. So if he wanted to pass the puck, he would have had to make probably a backhand pass, which is way more difficult than making a pass on the forehand. So as a defenseman, Brett Hedekin says, pay attention to if it's a righty or a lefty and if the puck carrier is on their backhand or their forehand. And then based on that, you can decide to either be aggressive and try to force him to make a difficult backhand pass Um, or you can decide to back off and take away the pass. And this was actually something that I learned from Sharks video coach Nick Gialdini. Shameless name drop by me, I apologize. Nick was my defense partner when we uh, were growing up playing high school roller hockey together. He was obviously a much better player than me, which is why he made it to the NHL, and I'm just sitting here talking about it. And since Nick was such a good player, uh, he would get invited to the captain's skates or the captain's practices before the season, before training camp even started. It's when, for those who don't know, before training camp, 
a bunch of players who either live in town or decide they want to come into town a little bit early will show up and skate and scrimmage. No coaches, no formal drills or organization, just a scrimmage for the players. And if you're good enough, then local guys can get invited or or kind of get their way into that practice session. And so Nick would show up at those captain skates and he would scrimmage on a team with Yevgeny Nabokov. And Nabi used to tell Nick that on a two-on-one, if Nick is the defenseman, either give him the shooter or take away the pass on a two-on-one, depending on who the shooter is. So he didn't say just take away the pass every single time. He said that he wanted Nick to play the two-on-one a certain way, depending on who the shooter was. And now after Brett Hedekin's analysis, that makes so much sense to me. Because I used to wonder, like, does that mean that you should pressure the puck if Datsuk has it, but back off if, like, Kirk Maltby is the puck carrier? But Brett Hedekin's analysis kind of puts it all in perspective, and so it makes a lot more sense to me now. Pressure the shooter when he's on his backhand or take away the pass uh, if the shooter is on his forehand. So shout out to Brett Hedekin. Shout out to Nick Gialdini, friend of the podcast. And shout out to Yevgeny Nabokov and who knows, maybe I'll get Nick to stop by the show one day. He's been doing a great job for the Sharks the last couple of seasons as the video coach and uh, for the Barracuda for a long time before that. So maybe we'll get him on here. But that is it for this one. Give the show a five-star rating and review if you enjoyed it. Let me know your thoughts on Twitter at AllSharksNoBite and weigh in on anything that we talked about. And hey, the Sharks are fun now. How about that? So we'll talk soon. And in the meantime, go Sharks. Sure.